I'd like to take you for a journey of uh, the request, right? which is this unit of work that the front end sends to the back end. Exactly what happened from the moment that this request is sent to until it reaches the back end user space process for processing. It's often the case that we focus on, I suppose, the first step, sending the request, and the last step, actually processing that request. When you get that on request, beautiful event in Node.js or Python, right? Hey, someone just sent the request. Right? That, that's all what you see in the backend process. But there is so much to it than that. There are so many... Uh, things that happen in the in between and while we'd like sometimes to it's nice to close our eyes and just um, wish that this magic happens in the most performant way <laughs> it doesn't always happen right just because these things are hidden from us uh, using you know, TLS libraries, OpenSSL, and HTTP libraries, if you're using HTTP as a protocol, and, and the kernel, and it's all its mighty, you know, you know, capabilities. It's, it's, to be honest, it's hiding this things from us, right? But just because these things are hidden, they do not mean that don't, they don't exist, right? There's so much work as involved and this really understanding in it is what i i tend to push in this channel right it's like you don't have to code everything like, like or build everything yourself that's not what i'm saying it's just you can use these libraries and but i think back in engineer specifically full stack no mandatorily uh we have to understand this thing right we need to understand exactly what happens at every stage of of the lifetime of a request because we 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 tend to take it for granted right? and then and when things uh, go wrong we are we feel paralyzed right because because we don't we don't we don't understand what's happening right when we couldn't scale uh, beyond a thousand connection per machine we tend to just throw more hardware at it right or or just spin up more machines or or go distributed right prematurely might might i say right Pre adding more hardware without actually understanding the cause of the bottlenecks here and i talk about that in my my new course my performance uh, unlocking the back-end performance bottlenecks so many things happen until the request is is ready to be processed and I, i'm here to kind of go through that journey kind of illuminate these steps but before we get we get started we need to define what a request really means right so how about we get started Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. With that said, let's get on, on the show. There are many ways to architect performant backend applications, all of which are subject to a fundamental understanding of backend concepts and networking. Once an engineer understands these fundamentals, they can make appropriate decisions for their needs. There's really no wrong or right backend design. 
It all depends on the use cases. Get my Fundamentals of Backend Engineering course to understand backend communication design patterns, protocols, execution, proxying, and much more. To check out the course, head to backend.win for a discount coupon. That is backend.win. Let's get back to the show. Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. And a request is... Um, is a unit of work that is submitted by a front end of some sort in in a form of a specific well-defined protocol and this is often this protocol often sits on top of either tcp or udp which is the you know, the de facto protocol of transport in the internet, right? You might say, why, why, do, I, why do I need, why do I need that? Why do I need another protocol to define requests? Can't I say, hey, uh, my requests are always 10 byte long. And if I send them, they always start with this particular binary, uh, <laughs> binary code, and this is their end, right? And they are always 10, uh, 10 bytes in length. You, well, you just defined a protocol, essentially, right? Like you defined your own application protocol that segments the the the, the stream of bytes. Because you see, always think of the TCP layer at least, you know, as a as a hose, as a water hose. You know, it's just like someone's pointing constant stream of water to a machine and just it's just a stream of bytes right and that machine just reads 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 these bytes it doesn't have any meaning per se but then you define meaning to it in the in the application right? by actually reading these streams you're reading 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 and says oh here's a start of a request and you define what that what does that mean right He's, oh, I, I see a head of a request. Like, that's the head. It's like, okay, I'm reading that. Oh, never mind. That's just a false alarm. Just toss it. It's like, oh, actually, this is a request. It's a get space slash HTTP 11. Oh, looks like an HTTP 11 request. All right, let me continue reading. Oh, I see content length header. Okay, content length says like here, it's a, a thousand byte length. So I need to, to read right after I finish the headers. I need to read a thousand bytes after the headers. That's my body of the request. It has to be a post in this case because gets don't have body. But then that is essentially my, my request. And that is as a unit, you probably deserialize that, right? Into the language of choice that you choose c plus plus c uh, python ruby node.js whatever and that gets you a nice object in the back end that says hey rec req and that's your request but there's so much work that happened there and 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 essentially it's just defining the first the request the start of the request and the end of the request but guess what the, the the backend needs to read the stream of byte and always do this parsing thing that we talked about to find out the start and the end of a request and chunk those bytes into meaningful uh, units of work. And HTTP 1.1 as a protocol is different than HTTP 2 uh, and, and it's different than HTTP 3 as a protocol when it comes to the on-wire a representation of a request completely different http one of the simplest most elegant representation of that if you receive something from http one one protocol that is the request there is no you know other stuff to it you know it's 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 straight to the point well http two no there are frames there are there are there's an additional structure that is wrapped around requests there are streams and streams have 
frames and there is a data frame and there is a header frame and there is other type of frames so there's more work involved in parsing http2 than http1 and that's why http2 is more cpu intensive because your backend process believe it or not is doing stuff that it didn't use to do in http11 and then there is also your backend is referencing a, an open SSL or Libra SSL library to do the decryption and encryption for TLS sessions, right? That's also a non-trivial cost, right? Uh, before you even start parsing all that stuff, you need to, to decrypt these bytes before you even begin to parse, right? And that's, that's the problem. Uh, that we're faced with that there's so much happening so that's our request now let's go through these steps and now that we define what a request is a request like to summarize a request has a start and a beginning and it has a beginning and an end and this defined by your protocol so even ssh has a request if you do an uh, anything like ls and you hit enter right in a bash environment this is such you are sending a request and you're waiting for a response from the server right and that that also has its unique definition so let's go through these stages these uh, steps goes through six stages a request goes through six stages before we even send a request we need a vehicle to send the request on and that's called a connection uh, it's a it's customary to establish a connection between a client and a server and uh, it's often a tcp connection so you do a sense and act and then act right and then you have a connection that means you you as a front end and the server the back end have agreed on certain situations you agreed on the window sizes, you agreed on the sequences, and now you can start labeling your bytes, not requests. TCP does not know anything about requests, just bytes to it, right? Now you use these bytes, this stream of bytes, as a vehicle to stop sending your request in whatever language you want, in whatever protocol you want. But before you actually build that connection, what is really happening here? So let's talk. Let's let's explore the connection space, and how the kernel is involved, and how the backend is involved as well. So when you first listen on this board, eighty eighty, TCP, and you listen on a specific interface, right? Specific IP address. When you do that listening, the kernel will create two queues for you just for the listener right so the 8080 listener it will create a socket object right? and that socket object is a file descriptor everything in linux is file is a file right? and that is associated with port 8080 and that that is the destination IP is this. And you can also listen on all interfaces by doing 0.0.0.0 or that's IPv4, all, all IPv4 interfaces. And if you listen to, want to listen to all IPv6 interfaces, you do colon, colon, double colons. Yeah? And that will listen on all IPv6. Not always a good idea because now your, your attack surface just unnecessarily expanded just listen on the things you actually need to listen on that's always a good idea now that file descriptor points to this port and then it has this ip address right let's give it an ip address one two three four the kernel also creates two pieces of data structure that is associated with this uh, socket essentially those there are pointers right and this is essentially called the sin queue and the accept queue the accept queue holds the full-fledged connections right while the syn queue holds the sends that are arrived 
to this particular socket and they are held often temporarily until we and this is all in the kernel the back end is not even involved with any of this stuff right all you do is just basically say listen and the kernel creates a data structure for you two data structures two queues in this case so now let's say a client want to connect to this 1234 port 8080 it will send us in the, the that packet will go all the way to the NIC, right? The network interface controller, right? Or card. And that SIN will eventually, it's just still, it's a packet, right? It's a CTV packet. It will move from that NIC to the kernel memory via a process often called DMA, which is the direct memory access where the, the data is moved directly from that to the kernel. CPU is not often involved in that area. The kernel directly reads data from the network memory, right, network card memory, or you can actually flip it that the network card actually writes to the kernel directly. So now the kernel finds out that, oh, we got a sin. Right? Where is it addressed to? Is it addressed to 1234 port 8080? Guess what? It will do a lookup. It says, oh, actually, I have a queue for that, that particular uh, socket. Right? If it doesn't have, it will drop it. It will drop the packet. And well-behaved kernels will actually reply back with an ICMP message saying, destination unreachable, port unreachable, right? or whatever. But if the, the packet does exist, then it will... It will put that sin into that sin queue for that backend. Again, this is all in the kernel. And it, the kernel immediately replies back to the client with a sin act to complete the connection. And now it's, it continues to wait. It says, all right, I sent the uh, sin act. Now, once the client acts the sin act, right, and we get back an act, that is when I have a full-fledged connection. That's the three-way handshake, right? The TCP. Now I can move that full-fledged connection to the accept queue, which is another queue also in the kernel. And we put it there. And now the connection lives there. Is it still ready to be consumed? Not yet. It's now us, the backend application, responsible for accepting the connection we have to accept the connection and that's a literally a system call system call called accept you call accept on the socket file descriptor and says hey accept 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 says hey whatever there is a if there is a connection i, I want to accept it when you call accept if there is a connection in the accept queue the kernel will pop it it will lock the structure pop it and then return a file description a new file descriptor representing that connection to the backend application now the backend has a pointer if you wish to the connection now the backend can talk directly to the client via this file descriptor we almost like established this this well connection right there's there's now a line connecting the client all the way to the back nice we have a connection how large is this accept queue i can go into details right you can actually specify how large this accept queue can get because guess what if the backend doesn't accept connections then the connections will remain in the accept queue but for how long right well until the accept queue is full well how what does what is the size of the accept queue well you determine it as the backend application when you listen you actually specify a parameter called backlog and the backlog can specify how many connections can live there unacceptable right before new uh, sin will start to be timed out, right? Because, hey, my accept queue is full. I can't accept new connections. I cannot 
complete, not accept. I cannot, as a kernel, I cannot complete new connections. Nice. All right. First step, accept. So there is just that step, right? There, there is so much work, right? That you as the backend engineer need to understand because your challenge here is to support a lot of connections. First, you have to learn how to accept connections as fast as possible. Because if the backlog except queue size is 128, then if you if you receive a thousand connections, that backlog is going to be filled. And if you have a single thread accepting connection, dedicated for accept connection, it cannot possibly, you will reach a point where that accept queue will be so small and you will increase it and then but then the problem is you still have a lot of backlog connections to be accepted and you're now you're forced to spin up multiple threads to accept. I talked about all of that in my new course as well. And there's, there is tricks and challenges and, and, and uh, you, can, you can literally have your backend spin up two threads or two processes even both listen on the same port you might say no that's not right you're gonna get this error address and use no nope, not if you uh, flagged the listener as a with a flag called is a socket option reuse port right and if there is like a specific handshake between you two as processes you can theoretically have 16 threads listening on the same port so if you do that, then you get 16 accept queues and 16 sin, sin queues. Do you get 16 next sin queues? I don't know. You're probably going to get one sin queue and 16 accept queues. Right? And now, once, once you receive connections, you receive connections, the kernel load balance those connections to the 16 queues and the threads can each read from their own accept, from their own accept queue, essentially. Right, as I suppose as multiple threads fighting to read from the single accept queue because you're gonna get uh, limited by the accept mutex, right? It's basic, you know, semaphore ideas. You have to lock stuff, otherwise you get race condition. That's bad. All right, so we talk so much about the accept, but eventually we have there's so much you can do here with the exception to accept a connection. Step number two, our work does not even begin. We just have a connection now, right? The step number two is actually, you get a read, buddy. As a backend application, you now you have a connection, the client's gonna send you stuff. Who's gonna read? Well, it's you. The backend application is gonna read. Or receive, RCV, I suppose. But what happened here? Let's. What really, really happens, right? And wh what are we reading? You're reading, and let's say, let's say it's port eight four 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 three. So it's encrypted. Let's let's spice things up a little bit. Let's add encryption to the mix, right? So the client will send requests, right? They are one after the other, right? Whether they are in streams or, right, or other format they'll be sent right? and those will be encrypted with dls so the at the end of the day once you accept a connection i forgot to mention that you get additional two queues per connection one is called the x uh, the receive queue and one one is the send queue right for each connection that you create, you're going to get a receive queue where the bytes will arrive from the client, and you're going to get a send queue where your bytes as a backend application will be moved to the send queue before it's transmitted across the network, right? And guess what? Let's talk about just the receive queue. So if a client sends an HTTP request, right, and it's encrypted, those are bytes, right? 
the kernel, the neck will receive those bytes, as we talked about, and the the kernel will identify that oh these bytes are going to this uh, to this IP to this port and 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 to this part from this particular client from this particular port. So and I and I guess what these four pairs essentially map to a unique connection, and here it is. It, it is this receive queue. It's all pointers at the end of the day, right? It's like, oh, so let me just move this SKB. I think that's called socket buffers, right? So that I move this socket buffer to this receive queue, to this connection buffer queue. Now you have a connection that you as the backend application got the file descriptor for and it has a receive queue with data but you don't see that yet that receive queue keeps receiving data and, and just and accumulating in the receive queue and those packets are acknowledged by the kernel all the tcp stuff is done by the kernel well, that was work done long time ago to to actually move the tcp layer down to the kernel as opposed from the kernel space uh, sorry, the user space. Right? Quick today is, is being done at the user space, right? Not like as far as the kernel is concerned, it's all UDP. It doesn't know it's a quick or not. Maybe it does, but it doesn't do anything about it. In the future, maybe. Well, but today, we're acknowledging all this, you know, window sizing and controlling the window sizes and shrinking and increasing and then the congestion control algorithms and and the slow start all of this is implemented in the kernel and with the users you can specify change parameters of course but yeah, that's 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 what what you have you have now the receive queue with a bunch of bytes okay? now as a backend application you call read again you might say hussein i never in my life did accept or called read or anything well, the framework or the library and the language often does that for you. So yeah, your backend is reading bytes. But guess what? Those bytes are raw, are raw encrypted bytes and that you read, that backend reads. And you, you have a buffer and you read them. And the backend associates specific memory either in the stack or the heap depends how you do it like if you declare a variable in your function that is a stack right but if you did a malloc then that's a heap so this data is copied from the kernel memory receive queue down to the user space memory right that's why iou rank the new interface in linux tries to eliminate this unnecessary copying back and forth right between kernel space and memory uh, user space but yeah you get you get you now you copied encrypted data guess what what do you do with this they are absolutely useless to you they don't represent a request up until this step we don't know what a request is yet so we're step number one we accept the connection step number two we're reading bytes we have absolutely no idea what a request is we're, we're just blind as a backend application. So now you're reading bytes, and those bytes will be copied, as we said, these encrypted bytes will be copied to the memory of the user space, to your backend application, essentially. And they live there. Another challenge is, is reading as well, like how fast you read, because that receive buffer also have a size, a limited size. So you, as a backend application, must read fast as fast as the client can send and it's the other way around if you send data the client should be able to handle what you send right? it's a it's a delicate you know tug of war kind of a situation here right so that's another thing you can investigate and invest in and understand the architecture of multiple readers right so you can have multiple acceptors, one acceptor up to you. Like Node.js is a one acceptor, one reader, right? Model, because it's a single thread. Right? And everything happens in that thread. 
literally and unless you you do asynchronous work then multiple threads will be used in node.js but see yes yeah, so that's why we're, we're like every language you pick every framework you pick it's is is going to do the thing differently but the fundamentals do not change they you have to do these things right if there's a fire there must be smoke and now that's the second step read if things were not encrypted right we're probably going to be almost done here going to read and then we're going to start the process of parsing right but we can't parse anything yet in the back the protocol cannot kick in yet our protocol the http or the ssh or whatever protocol you built or you know, web sockets nothing can, can kick in yet in step two we're just reading encrypting but if it's unencrypted yeah we can start the process of parsing the protocol and finding our request but not yet right so now move us to step number three which is decrypting now now that i have in my memory a bunch of a bag of encrypted bytes that i know they are encrypted because i did a session i did a ctls session now i find my key the you know the symmetric key that i use to decrypt and i exchange with the client that's the whole thing you know did I put it in a memory? It probably sit there in your user space memory. Let's just pull it up and decrypt it, you know, with it. Uh, if you're sophisticated enough, uh, you probably, like the private key and the certificates and all the stuff is going to be in a TPM somewhere in your hard, you know, in your motherboard. And you're going to ask your TPM to do the decryption right or at least this session establishment for you because you don't use the private key to decrypt you know traffic right? you just use it to sign stuff more likely right the session uh, key is probably living somewhere in your user space memory which is i suppose you can say it's dangerous but that's what we do today right like um, if another heart bleed happened and it's it's unlikely because these session keys are ephemeral once you're done with the connection you drop the session key so it's not like it's gonna live forever like the private key so you're not gonna get a heart bleed situation either but yeah you can there's another thing the security folks are taking care of thinking about all these problems so step number three to decrypt you take the session key and then you decrypt these bytes and guess what you have to copy them in another location, right? Now you acquire double the memory, essentially. Can you decrypt in place? I don't know. Maybe. But now you're occupying memory, more memory. You need more memory to acquire from decrypt from this and this. And you, often you don't do this yourself as well. You use a library. And, and even you might even don't know any of that stuff because you use a HTTP library or even node right or python that uses https protocol that uses either whatever is installed in your drive is open ssl or libra ssl or whatever and that library is probably linked with your right in a specific virtual page in your process and then you use that to do the decryption so the code is is already on your machine you just use that to decrypt so so that code gets kicked in and but it's it's the cost that it's your process that is done does the execution because you it's it's that library opens it is mapped is linked to your process right so it's as if you are doing the backend and and you might come back and say hey why is my backend process taking like 98 cpu i don't do anything i'm not doing anything well, you are doing a lot of things. It's just you don't know about it, right? So all this crypto magic, you know, AES, 128.256, signature, signing, you know, digest, all of this happens in step number three, decrypting. Now that we, we can toast the encrypted stuff, deallocated, now we have a nice memory of unencrypted stuff. Step number three we decrypted 
we took another hit, right? Now, this is the first time we actually take a CPU hit per se. Step number two wasn't really, we didn't really need anything CPU. We just literally did a copy, right? It's an IO. And we don't do any processing per se in step two. Maybe in step one, even step one is just an exception, like except we're accepting stuff. So that's the first step we're actually using a CPU. So your process becomes slightly CPU bound if it's TLS, if there's TSSL is involved. But yeah, watch out for that. Step number four. Now that we have a bunch of unencrypted bytes, we begin parsing. We know our backend is an HTTP protocol, or let's say it's HTTP 1.1 or HTTP 2 or HTTP or SSH or Postgres or MySQL protocol. Now we begin actually parsing. By the way, this 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 steps is identical for any any backend. Talk about database, web server, uh, a live streaming web ser server, you know, any backend must do these steps, right? So parsing is another step here, which is based on my protocol, I'm going to parse now. So, all right, here's where my request starts. Oh, there you go. Here's a request. I have, I have this much amount of metabyte. If we're lucky, and whatever I have in my memory so far, I begin parsing and I might, I might find a request in this hunk of bytes, right? Or might be even lucky. I find two requests. Oh, there is one request and there's another request or even luckier. I have three requests. Isn't that cool? Three requests in one shot. Well, which one gets processed first? That's a decision to the back end. Let's not get there. Again, that's that's why I am fascinated by backend engineering because there is no one way to do any of this stuff. You can do it anywhere, shh, anywhere you want. And there is always pros and cons to anything. But yeah, or the bad side is you might be an unlucky bastard and the memory that you just read doesn't have a half a request. <laughs> It happens, right? Because the request is still large. So you happen to accept read, but you only read half of worth of data. You decrypted that half of worth, but that request is in another half, or maybe it still is in the receive queue that you didn't read, or maybe the client sent it and it didn't arrive. So now you're in this parsing hell. So it's like, oh man. This is now uncomplete request. What do you do with that? Well, you put it on the side because you have other stuff to take care of. Well, what do you, what do you do? Really? Do you wait for more data to arrive and hopefully the the request will be completed? You have to because it's an uncomplete request. You cannot fulfill an uncompleted request. Well, unless you're uploading some file and and you got enough information from the first request that you know that the remaining is actually the data so you can do tricks with that but most of the case if you do that then you the backend will be waiting for more data to be read and decrypted before it can actually mm, parse this request right and you know what i mean by parse right just find out the start and the end right and and sometimes not any data that available there is actually request. It could be just system frames from an HTTP2 protocol, like settings or window update, right? That That's where it's like, okay, I can't do anything. That's not a request. That's not an actionable backend request, right? <sighs> And here is where the second hit to your CPU is, is performed, right? On parsing. Because now it's all CPU, right? You're just taking the memory and then you're reading, 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 looking for, comparing certain things, finding specific 
hitters, finding specific bodies, finding specific patterns for your request. So it's all CPU. And 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 HTTP 1.1 is, is gonna give you the least amount of headache here because it's it's a very vanilla straight protocol. You know, it doesn't have any, you know, magic to it. But HTTP 2, well, there's a lot of other headers and binary frames. WebSockets, same thing, has its own headers that you need to unpack and understand. So you're you're using this library that you hope someone wrote in a very efficient manner that parses these you know stuff right so you take another hit at the cpu and and up until today 2023 it's it's known that htp2 consumes more cpu than htp11 and just because the logic htp2 does more right well it does give you benefits that you can multiplex request on, on, a, on the same uh, connection but it does that as a cost of extra stuff you know? now if you take advantage of that then the the cost is apportioned but if you if you if your front end sends one request and waits for another uh, there is no point of using HTTP2 right? you just added an additional cost for nothing right so I always like you know, measure that the, the need for HTTP one versus two based on that, right? Because I, I like to treat my CPU with respect, you know. Just because we have something in abundance doesn't mean we have to waste, right? Like it's like going to a restaurant and ordering everything and only eating one meal and throwing the rest. Well, we have enough food, let's just order. Right. respect your cpu decoding the fifth step uh this might this step might actually happen before parsing it depends on that protocol but decoding essentially is like referring to what am i reading right the actual request itself it's often happening after so that you you need whatever you got as a request is this text is this binary what is it really Right? And if it stacks, is it ASCII? Is it UTF-8? Because the byte might look the same, but if it's ASCII, it might look completely different than if it's, you know, uh, UTF-8, right? You might send an emoji, and ASCII doesn't mean anything, but, right, it will show you maybe two letters, right? But in, in, in right, in, in UTF-8, it, it means a dog, right? That, that's why decoding is very critical, right? That's just one space or decoding. And utf can take up to four bytes for certain characters. Like I think kanji can, can take up to five or four bytes, like for specific kanjis in Japanese, right? Uh, so yeah, drawing the stick, you, decoding this based on the language of the backend, language here i mean the human language not the programming language per se and also while not common there's uh, sometimes you compress request right and you need to decode this compressed request such that uh, uh, if you compress the request with gza for example the backend can decompress it and that is another hit for cpu so now we have three steps. So we're hitting the CPU, right? So we have uh, the TLS. We have parsing and decoding as well. Take CPU, right? So we're we're talking CPU and all these things. I might say these are just tiny stuff. Who cares? Why even measure it? Well, knowing about it actually doesn't hurt because. If they happen on abundance and you did move your application to an IoT device and all of a sudden you say, oh, why is this application taking 100% CPU and everything is slow? Well, because you did all of this stuff that you didn't feel in your 128 core whatever CPU, right? Take it for granted. Final step. Now that we decoded, now we know the start and the end of the request, 
now we fire the event if there is such a thing in in the backend process i says hey a callback happened i just got a request yay i just got a request do whatever you want with it but did you see all the stuff that happened right now this is what we just see as backend engineers right it's okay i just received a request now let me process this request right and even this step here as uh sometimes like there is before you process the request I, i'm i'm glad also like node and express express uh js does not do that for you I'm, I'm really glad that it's actually explicitly said hey this request contains a json you parse that so that's a different parsing from the parsing from step four right we get the request but the request has a body and the body is of type json and it's only bytes right if you want those json bytes from normal bytes to actually something that you can work uh, with in the application as objects then you deserialize that's a step that i didn't mention right so it can happen before processing if you will right you can shove it in with decoding if you will right like i would deserialize this step uh, this this json into json object such that i can call a dot whatever in it right i can play with it in javascript or in python you move this binaries into dictionaries right in python is that what's called dictionaries right python that's what json is right in python so you move these bytes into the applicable uh, programming language data structure of your choice if you're using node then it's javascript it's json it's native json of the javascript then there will be serial deserialization happening here boom move it from a serialized byte down to an object that i can use if it's java it's gonna be a bunch of objects right and boy this is really costly especially if it depends on the language there is a lot of overhead when it comes to json parsing and deserializing Ugh. so that's another step and then finally once you get the json object now you actually can process because now you know what you sent what you were sent and you can process it and what does it mean to process well well you received a request to i don't know get slash books <laughs> go go give me the books right all right let me do it now you turn around and do select star from books right limit 10 give me the first 10 books and that's another now your backend becomes a client and the database becomes the backend and you go through the exact same steps nothing changes the fundamentals are the fundamentals are the fundamentals and then once you process you now go to the reverse of these steps where you still do the these steps but they are in reverse right where now you're writing instead of reading you have the connection you're writing to the send queue before you write you have to encrypt right and before you encrypt you have to encode right so encode decrypt deserialize and then encrypt write to the send queue now the kernel will take take care of that it will send your encrypted byte to the client and the client will do the the reverse and so on right so the processing aspect of things is actually also interesting because it, all these six steps actually any one of them you can really write i'm not exaggerating you can write a white paper and you can take your masters or or phd in each one of these steps right because like take the processing first like how do you process requests you you have a fleet of requests arriving to your request and i don't care about distributed don't 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 involve this stuff now here 
we're, we're about simplicity. We're about learning what happens in a single machine. Let's not care about what multi-process and multi, you know, distributed and stuff like that. We're one machine only, one machine. So like, how do you, my, to me, you should be as efficient as possible in one machine. Otherwise, if you distribute too soon, it, to me, it's a cop-out, you know? It's just like, you, well, you just say, yeah, CPU, 100%, more machines. Why is it 100%? Which of these steps are actually consuming more of your memory? Well, I don't care. Well, sure, okay. Just throw more RAM and make the venture capitalist uh, happy and then move on with your life. You can do that, sure. But you can also be an engineer and understand these things. Right? And that's what fascinates me, you know. I just sit down, wake up every day, and I pick one thing that I think I know, but I turn out that I don't, right? <laughs> and and they're just processing, the thick, thick of, of just processing requests, right? Like, you can have our, your own architecture to process requests, right? Even if it ends up distributing to another machine. But it's just understanding that we have now a bunch of requests. I can spin up a pool of worker processes. Five, six. What's this number? What does this number depend on? Well, it depends on the workload of the process. What is the nature of your request? This is definitely out of the scope of this video. Is it? Is your... Is your workload, is your request CPU bound or is it I.O. bound? Right? Is your request, is your request traversing a 1 billion uh, graph looking for something which is CPU intensive thing? Or is it uh, reading from a database or reading from another service? Or is it both? where you are reading the graph, well, that's I.O., and then you are traversing the graph. Right? So I.O. and CPU intensive. And, and that's how you scale. That's how people pay, are paid millions of dollars just to understand like how to scale things. You know? How do I size my machines? So yeah, uh, that's what I'm interested in, to be honest, is just understanding the bottleneck, right? understanding the nature of your request what happens through all of that i hope you enjoyed this episode and i'm gonna see you in the next one you guys stay awesome